This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies pitcher Tyler Kinley on how he and the other Rockies pitchers are preparing for the new rule with the pitch clock. We're definitely chatting about it. You know, we're competitors. It's going to be an adjustment for all of us. We're trying to work it into our bullpen, um, and we're trying to see how we can kind of, you know, take control of the clock and use it to our advantage. Also, Tyler talks about when he hopes to be back on the mound. The new Netflix series Full Swing. Drew offers a few takeaways. And remembering the great Tim McCarver. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend this is the drew goodman podcast welcome in everybody it is show number 190190 hope you all had a uh, good week and you know for me and for you i suggest great sports fans we're kind of making that transition out of football and you're having football withdrawal in that there is no game There's no game coming up. There's no college football. That's been the case for a while. But, you know, even the two weeks where you have to build up to the Super Bowl, you can talk about it and you can anticipate that game. But now we're in the dog days of of February, where spring training just underway. So I'm fired up about that. I'll be down there uh, in a little more than a week. And um, yeah, I've, I've told you this, uh, this time of year, I'm rejuvenated. Um, my enthusiasm for, for watching baseball, for being around baseball, for talking baseball, um, it's all there. And I love spring training and I love March in Scottsdale and I can't wait to participate. But from an overall sports landscape, football's king in our country. We understand that. We get fired up for the weekend and the matchups in college football and our favorite team, whether it be the Broncos or another team or or just a good NFL matchup. But that's gone this time of year. Sorry, I'm not into the XFL, the USFL, and, and whatever the hell else, the CFL. I saw um, one play of a CFL game uh, the other day. So it is the um, the dog days of uh, of sports and yeah the NBA still got you know what almost two months before playoffs begin uh, same thing from the uh, NHL perspective so I was flicking around on my remote the other day and I'm ashamed to admit but on Sunday I watched the first quarter of the NBA All-Star game what in the hell I was doing I have no idea but I watched Literally, I never turned. I watched the whole thing. I even may have watched the first couple of minutes of the second quarter. In fact, I know I did in the interest of full disclosure. What a joke. And it's not as if I didn't know it was going to be a joke going in, but I just wanted to see how the whole thing played out. And it's as I recall the last time I wandered across it and with One eye covered, I looked at it a few years ago. No defense. No pretending to play defense. It's not a game. It's a dunk fest. And look out, this guy's going to try to do a 360 down the lane. Fire up as many threes as you can. It's garbage. It is absolute garbage. I suppose... And I saw this somewhere that if you're, you know, a 10-year-old fan and, and, you're, and you're looking in and you see LeBron and, you, you know, you see Antetokounmpo, though he, you know, didn't really play, played, you know, for 10 seconds, you know, your, your favorite player, okay, it can be neat. I, I saw a line in the aftermath of the game reading the next day that um, 
Jason Tatum caught fire. You know, he went for 55 points. Good for Jason Tatum. Great player. Boston having a hell of a year. What do you mean he caught fire? Nobody's covered him. Nobody's covering him. So he went 10 for 18 from three-point range. That's not catching fire. If he were to go out and just do a shooting drill once he's warmed up from three-point range, he's going to shoot better than 10 for 18 probably from three-point range. He didn't catch fire. Nobody's in his face. It's not coming hard off a screen. I thought that was a dumb line. The whole the whole thing is a fiasco. I've said this before. Thankfully, they got rid of the Pro Bowl because we know that was just awful. Uh, this needs to go away. I like the NHL skills competition. I like the fact they play three on three hockey, but you know it's no check hockey. It's not fair to the goaltender. Baseball's the closest to you know, somewhat of a real game because the pitcher's trying to get the hitter out, the hitter's trying to come through. You can't tell me, and this is emblematic now of where we are um, in basketball in particular with load management, which I went off on a week or so ago. Now we can't even compete relatively hard in an all-star game to make it entertaining, to give people some value. And don't tell me, oh, we don't want anybody to get hurt. Do they play hard when they're playing pickup basketball and thusly training for the upcoming season in the summers? Do they get after it in practice and camp leading into the season? Do they get after it in practice sometimes during the season? So don't tell me that they can't guard a little bit more, you know, and try to actually play a game. I don't expect it to be played like the Pistons and the Bulls in 1990. But you can play a competitive game and still play defense and make it worthwhile to watch. That is crazy. All right. The other thing that I watched over the weekend that I was all in on, naturally, because you've heard me say this in the past, and it, it it's something that everyone's into, anybody into golf or, or even uh, the casual observer of golf, Tiger Woods, man. And Tiger was back out there, and he was doing some Tiger things. He barely made the cut. Um, rough Friday after... You know, Thursday was good. Friday, I mean, he really should have. He just couldn't putt. I mean, it's what, about half a dozen putts inside of eight feet? Those used to be semi-automatic for him. Came back with a great round, 67, four under on Saturday. Sunday wasn't great, but it was awesome to see him out there. And you saw, even though you still see the the hitch in his, in his, in his gate, you saw great golf shots. He was out driving Rory and Justin Thomas consistently. It's still there. And the recovery, as he said, takes him a while each day. It's not like he can go back-to-back weekends. But you know what's great? We can look forward to a summer where Tiger legitimately is going to play all the majors. And you would think, based on what we saw at Riviera, he can be competitive. And he'll probably play a couple of other events as well. And that is good for all of us. So I was all in on the golf. John Rahm, man, otherworldly right now. Max Homa down the stretch. Fun. Fun. I was really into it. Also got me thinking a little bit about the live tour and some of the guys that defected because 
I also found something else to watch. Big Swing on Netflix. You got to watch it. My man Kyle Keefe, he threw, threw it out there on Twitter. I had already been watching it. He saw it and he was going off. Vic Lombardi, um, t- two buddies of mine, they they were talking about it. And, and I was... All in, man. I binge. I don't binge watch anything, folks. I'm not that kind. That guy. I binge watched the golf uh, on Netflix. I did it over three days. It was great. I mean, it was it was great. I've always been a Tony Finau fan. When you watch this thing, if you are not a huge Tony Finau fan after watching his episode, something's wrong give you another guy I've always been a fan of Rory McIlroy just uh, I love everything about him I love how he's been outspoken and saying you know we're going to make the PGA Tour better this is about our tour and you know he he had you know great disdain for the guys that left for live and I can't walk in those guys shoes nobody's ever offered me 20 40 50 100 or in the case of Phil Mickelson reported 200 million dollars to go do something anything so it's it's easy to go hey I wouldn't do this well guess what Roy McIlroy and I know he's really wealthy anyhow but he's earning it against the best players in the world and the PGA's had to step up and they have they've elevated the the prize money considerably they've elevated certain uh, events so it's not just about the four majors and maybe uh, a couple of others and when you watch this Netflix documentary and you get to the last one which is ostensibly about Rory McIlroy you will have even greater respect for him and greater respect for the guys that have stuck around that are earning it each and every week. And that's one of the things Roy McElroy came out um, and said that in every other major sport, you don't get to pick and choose when you participate. And in golf, that's kind of been what it is, what it's been. And now at the PGA Tour, changing how they do some of their tournaments and um, how they um, put bonus pools together in the FedEx Cup points and, and all of these things, you are now going to get more events, far more events outside the majors where there are all the top players there with the handful of guys that defected and went to live. But anyhow, I, I watched that Netflix thing, man, and it, it was great. So I highly recommend that as well. I don't recommend the NBA All-Star game. I just want to make sure that that was clear a few moments ago. Tim McCarver passed. Tim McCarver had a 21-year big league career. In fact, he first got to the big leagues at 17. Imagine that. I mean, crazy. Uh, He, for most of us, is a guy that we recall as a terrific baseball broadcaster. You know, in in recent times, so I know he's taken some heat of late. Tony Romo was which much celebrated um, as uh, a football commentator. Going back, John Madden. I mean, he set the bar um, as high as it could be set from an analyst standpoint in football. Well, Tim McCarver was a guy that was not overbearing, was not condescending, but taught the game well, gave you insight into the game, was avuncular in nature. Um, He was a tremendous storyteller. And again, you learned a lot from Tim McCarver. He had a folksy way about him, originally from 
Memphis, Tennessee. And I, I heard him a lot, not only nationally, but I heard him a lot back when he was doing Mets games many, many moons ago. And I always had great respect and great admiration uh, for Tim McCarver. He was very approachable. I think of some great Tim McCarver stories, and many surrounded um, Bob Gibson, who he was exceptionally close with. In fact, I read in one of the obituaries on McCarver that just, I think, a half a dozen years ago, and now Gibson's gone as well, as couples, Bob Gibson and his wife and, and Tim McCarver and his significant other went to Europe for a couple of weeks. And Gibson said um, it was it was the best, among the best two weeks of his life. And it was neat to to read of their time together many years, many, many, many years after their playing career. But uh, it reminded me of some of the great stories that McCarver would tell about Gibson. One time McCarver said he, he called timeout because Gibson, you know, had missed the strike zone, you know, three times in a row, that sort of thing. And this, this rarest of moments where he was going to go out and visit with Gibson to try to settle him down. And he got about halfway out there. And Gibson yelled back at him. He goes, where the hell are you going? The only thing you know about pitching is it's hard to hit. Get the fuck back behind the plate. And and he did a 180. I mean, halfway there, just turned around, went back uh, behind the plate. It was a great uh, story on Bob Gibson. He also was uh, famous for that line McCarver was about Gibson. He said he was Gibson was the luckiest pitcher he ever saw. Always pitched on the uh, day the other team didn't score any runs. Do you remember the? Um, do you remember the moment when Deion Sanders, who's all the rage around here, especially, um, was this great two sports star, and he had left the Atlanta Braves to go play a football game during the playoffs. And I guess McCarver chided him about it. And then fast forward, Atlanta captured, I believe at the time it was the NLCS. Or maybe it was even the World Series. And he's in the locker room and McCarver, uh, and Deion Sanders dumps, you know, champagne all over uh, McCarver. And it was not in the vein today where they pour beer and champagne over any anybody in the clubhouse, um, you know, reporters and broadcasters, et cetera. Back then it was kind of, he did it in a manner because he was upset with McCarver and McCarver famously, you know, yelled back at him, you're a real man, Dion, you're a real man. Um, but uh, just some of my recollections of Tim McCarver, uh, Gone too young at 81. What a tremendous career he obviously had as a player, but um, what a great impact he had as a as a broadcaster of baseball. Uh, one other note, I, uh, Rex Ryan is uh, one of the candidates, uh, you know, as we tape this on a Wednesday evening for the defensive coordinator job for the Broncos. And uh, I've always been a fan of Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan is a, is, a, is a character, speaking of a guy that's transitioned nicely to television. He'll be a great quote if he comes here. And he'll have a chance to work with some good defensive players led by Justin Simmons. It still comes down to me when, whenever they, they 
throw out these stats about, you know, this coach and, and his defenses were, you know, top 10 in four out of five years when he was with Baltimore, that sort of thing. And you think back and you go, oh, who was playing for him then? And you think back to those Baltimore defenses and you're like, um, yeah, they had an all-world Mike linebacker. They had great defensive players. Coaches typically are as good as the talent around them. But I do think it would be fun to have Rex Ryan around. Got to uh, cross paths with Rex Ryan a couple times when he was, uh, for one year, he was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And uh, I remember having a couple meetings with him in television production meetings. And uh, he was, as you see him on television, he was entertaining. So it'd be a good quote and be fun if Rex Ryan ends up getting the job here in Denver. So those were... uh, my thoughts on um, on some of the happenings around sports this week. I'm excited about uh, this interview this week. Tyler Kinley's a guy that's been a Rocky now for a couple of years. He was putting together legitimately an all-star first half last year as a setup man. It's hard, it's hard to make the all-star team as a setup man. You know, starters make it and closers have an opportunity to make it. Not often do setup men make it. Most recently, I think Devin Williams of Milwaukee, um, was a guy that was so dominant in the eighth inning, setting up for Hader before Hader got moved to San Diego. Williams took over the ninth inning, but you know he made it. But Tyler Kinley, uh, you know, had a, almost a zero ERA the first half of last year before the elbow injury, and you know he had that wipeout slider that that uh, we'll talk about. It looks like a splitter, um, but Tyler Kinley is. Uh, a guy that's had an interesting baseball journey, really sharp guy, great, truly great family man. Um, he's he's a really good guy to visit with from a broadcaster standpoint. He's a guy that uh, I've come to have immense respect for, and uh, I think you'll enjoy uh, the next 20 minutes or so as uh, Tyler joins us. He's on the mend. He's uh, he's going to be back pitching uh, for the Rockies at some point this year, and it was good to catch up here at spring training with Tyler Kinley of the Rockies. Well, first and foremost, the obvious question is, how is the elbow and how's rehab going? It's going great. Um, I'm playing catch now out to about 120 feet. Um, my elbow feels great. Um, no issues there. Body feels good and strong. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited and training staff is super excited with uh, you know where I'm at and uh, how things are going thus far. You know, when anybody has, you didn't specifically have Tommy John, but you're familiar, obviously, with it. And whenever something, you know, with the elbow takes place, when you first start throwing again, there there has to be that mindset, man, is it going to hurt? And I mean, uh, is there a met, there's got to be a big mental hurdle, TK, to get over before you can say, man, the elbow feels great. Is that is that fair? Definitely. There definitely is. Um, you know, for me, I had Tommy John back in 2009. So it's been, you know, roughly 11 years since I've had anything go on with my elbow. And that was, you know, I was a senior, just graduated high school going into my freshman year of college. It was that summer when it happened. Uh, and it took me, you know, almost three years to recover. Just, you know, I had different setbacks and what I don't think uh, treatment nor the rehab program was as, as advanced as it is today. So, you know, it was a longer path for me. And I think, um, 
going the harder, maybe more difficult route that I that I took that first time definitely had me more prepared this time for what was to come um, coming out of surgery. Yeah, again, I, I just go to the mental side because one of the great things about, first of all, the Tommy John surgery is we is we know from uh, you know ridiculous amount of data with folks like yourself that there, there's better than a ninety percent return to former self, if you will, um, athlete. You know, it's not it's it's a little dicier when when you deal with the shoulder, but. It's a long ass process, especially when when you're talking about a major league pitcher, one of the finest, you know, groups of people in, uh, on the planet to do what you do. That's a long process, isn't it? It is. It's, it's a real long process, and you know, in the beginning, there's a lot of rest and a lot of uh, you know healing and range of motion stuff that needs to come back. But then it's a long, tedious, um, you know, a, a large amount of throws involved to just increase volume and increase stress to the forearm and to the elbow again to introduce it back to not only flat ground, but then elevating, you know, up onto a mound as well, which, you know, increases stress and whatnot on the elbow. So it's a, it's a long process. Um, but usually once you get through it, you know, guys tend to see a, a better version of themselves because they've learned how to take care of their body and whatnot before where the elbow kind of, took the blame for everything and, and tore apart. So they learned what they were lacking, you know, previously. Do you allow yourself kind of a firm timetable or is that unfair because you don't, you know, if there's any kind of minor, you know, I don't want to call it setback, but slow down in the process, or do you have a target date right now that, Hey, you know what? I want to be back on a big league mound, getting guys out, uh, basically at, you know, at, you know, mid June or mid July. I mean, do you have a, do you have a timetable? I wish I had a specific target date because I'm such a, a regimented person and, and routine-oriented and whatnot, and I'd love to have that date and cross it on. But like you said, it's not necessarily setbacks and whatnot. It's just everyone kind of recovers differently at different stages. So while I might have, you know, flown through the early stages, um, you know, with, with no setbacks and, and whatnot, uh, you know, there could be one down the road. And what might be labeled as a setback is really – you know, maybe it just takes me two weeks to get to a certain stage and someone else it takes 10 days. Um, so because it is, you know, still a ways away, it's hard to, to put my finger on it. Um, but I would hope sometime in the second half, you know, sometime the all-star break, you know, sometime around there is what I'll shoot for. And I'll, as I continue to progress and start throwing bullpens and whatnot, I'll have more of a, uh, you know, a smaller time frame knowing, okay, hey, this is where I'm going to be back. You know, from afar, the, the interesting thing is, is you, you know, have never been better at the big league level. You've had, you know, plenty of moments, obviously. Uh, but last year, you were you were lights out. You were one of the dominant setup men in all of baseball. There was talk of potentially, uh, you know, representing the Rockies in the All-Star game. And uh, if memory serves me correctly and my homework's accurate, your last seven appearance, I mean, you didn't give up anything last year, but your last seven were all scoreless. And then... You have this situation. Uh, do you allow yourself to reflect on woulda, coulda, shoulda? Uh, I mean, we're all human, so it's hard not to go there, right? Um, I think the thing that I harp on the most and I focus on is not that there's ever a good time to get injured, but I think that I couldn't have left myself in a better spot when I did get injured because things were going well. I was, you know, pitching to the best of my ability, um, you know, rather than, had I struggled out of the gates and had I just, you know, completely lost it and whatnot and then got injured and then 
to have to sit on that, you know, for a year's recovery of trying to figure out who am I going to be because I didn't even know who I was before I got injured. You know, I think that could have been a, a tough route back. But, but but because I was in such a good place previously, I think it's allowing me to, uh, you know, progress through this rehab program, you know, the best that I can. You know, knowing you a little bit, you seem to be someone that, that stays, at least publicly, relentlessly positive. Um, and in a sport that does everything in its power to tear you down, whether you're a, a position player or someone like yourself who pitches, uh, have you always had that mindset or is it something through the maturation of, you know, you as a person and also as a baseball player came to be? I think it's definitely something that I've built upon, uh, you know, as you mentioned, as, as maturing and as growing older and, you know, more experience in this game. Um, but it's definitely something I've always tried to, to harp on and make sure that I'm, you know, in a good mindset because there's so many things that, you know, can go wrong in this game. Um, you know, the more mentally present and mentally, you know, attacking and however aggressive, you know, you want to think of, I think that's always helped me and, you know, helps my on-field persona do what I'm able to do. Tyler, I want to take you back. I want to go back to high school. I know you had Tommy John. You mentioned that your senior year. You end up going to Barry University, which is which is a good, solid D2 program. Uh, I think one of the beautiful things, I often say this about the game, um, is that if you can play, they will find you. Um, you know, uh, my boys played college baseball, and there's I always tell kids that it, you can – you know, you can go to a D3, an NAI, D2. Not everybody goes to UCLA, Arkansas, Arizona State, LSU. Um, did you go to Barry because of the injury, or were you a late bloomer? I went to Barry because, uh, one, my only college, or college uh, scholarship I received. So that was that was really the only option that I had. But the main reason I was going to Barry is because it's a really good academic school. And, I, you know, baseball was so – was obviously my dream, but I, it was, you know, just seemed so far-fetched and so, you know, far away for me to, to get to that point, uh, you know, to make sure the major league get drafted or whatever, that I was like, hey, here's a school that, you know, I have good grades now and you on, I can get my degree and I can, you know, be prepared for life. And, you know, by the way, they let me play baseball there, so it was a no-brainer at that point. And uh, definitely a late bloomer, though, for sure. What did you study? Uh, exercise physiology. Want to go into therapy school is where I was studying to do. So, is there, um, you know, hopefully a dozen years from now, when the when the career is done, you shut it down at forty five, like Tom Brady. Um, will you go then and uh, and use? Uh, will, will you be Scotty Murayama, uh, who's uh, <laughs> who's one of the uh, rehab therapists, if you will, trainers for the Rockies? Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. It's definitely always interested me and maybe that's because of the injuries I had growing up and whatnot. That's why physical therapy kinda you know piqued my interest. Um I would love to stay involved in it in, in some way or another. Um but as of post baseball, I'm not quite sure continuing to evolve and I'm not sure where I'm gonna land. Yeah. When um when you get drafted at a at a Barry did you immediately, when you showed up in, in pro ball, feel like, hey, I know I belong? Or was there this thought that, hey, you know what, man, I was a you know later round pick. 
um, you know, kind of a, a mid-sized school, you know, going back to what you're talking about, you, you didn't go to LSU or Arkansas, that sort of thing. And at what point in time did you go, hey, wait a second, not only do I belong, but I can get to the show? Yeah, I, I remember getting drafted and being overwhelmed with the D1 guys, the top round guys, the signing bonuses that they were talking about that they signed for. Um, you know, I just felt like I was starting so far behind the eight ball. At the same time, I remember looking around the room and, and you know, watching the guys perform on the field and, and telling myself, like, I can do what he just did. You know, I'm, I'm better than that guy. That guy got $1.2 million, and then I got none of that kind of thing. And so I remember that just motivating me, uh, you know, at the early stages of the minor leagues and whatnot. And then I think that just kind of helped me create my path to get there. And then the more that I climbed – the higher that I climbed in the levels, minors, and then going to winter ball and pitching in the Dominican for a couple years. I think once I went to winter ball uh, for two years and, and did really well there, that's when it kind of cemented in my brain that, hey, I can do this, and I can do this at the major league level. I just need to get community from somebody somewhere. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up winter ball because it was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Um, how much do you feel you, you grew from playing in the Dominican? How much do you think you grew not only uh, in your craft, but also just understanding that a good segment, you know, more than 25% of major league players come from Latin America and maybe better understanding some of your teammates and their path? Uh, it was life-changing for me, yeah. Perspective completely changed on things. I remember getting down there and, you know, you just see – what's important to those guys down there and it was the game and having fun and it was you know baseball games down there were were like you know rock stars here in the states and whatnot so it was always you know the best thing to do down there and then you learned how little they had and how much fun they had i remember thinking at times like man baseball in the states felt so military ran now that i'm down here and it's a party every night playing so i think one of the things that i really allowed myself to do in winter ball was kind of come out of my shell and just have fun again and, and just pure joy, enjoy the game, enjoy the moment. And I think I really kind of found myself down there at the time when, you know, there's a little bit of a language barrier. There's a culture shock. There's no family nearby. You know, I feel like my team in the States could care less about me at the time. And I was just down there literally on an island feeling like, hey, I'm just going to soak this in, be open-minded, and I'm going to do what I love. And I think that really – you know, did a lot of greater things for me in my life. Who'd you play for in the Dominican? Uh, my first year was with uh, Estrellas in San Pedro, and then my second year was with uh, Lee Say in the capital. Yeah, and I've been fortunate enough to uh, – I've seen Lee Say play a couple different times in winter ball, um, and they have seen Obregon and uh, – and I, you know, we run into – you certainly do. I do doing what I uh, – do for a living you run into great fans who you know have a bucket list to, to get to every major league stadium which is you know it's awesome for those same fans that are listening i would say if you can ever put a trip together to go and go to go to santa domingo and go watch a winter ball game and see what a party it is it's just it, it's different it's exciting it's a cool experience isn't it it really is. It's, it's nothing like you've experienced here in the States, you know, maybe a, a World Series kind of thing. You'll see it in the World Baseball Classic coming up when 
the DR in Venezuela and the Latin on the teams in the Caribbean when they start playing each other. It's just, it's incredible. And it's, the fans are so authentic down there from, you know, pitch one to the last pitch. You throw two balls in a row and they're booing you to get you off the mound. And all of a sudden you come back with a strike and you're the best pitcher ever. You know, it's changed, it's changed within two pitches. Yeah. Well, you know what? One of the pitches for me that, um, that always gets me excited when you're doing your thing out on the mound and that's your slider. And for me, it's one of the most unique sliders. And I put that in air quotes in the game because it looks at least on television, it looks like it has splitter movement. I mean, it's, it's, it's less horizontal and almost, you know, completely vertical and you throw it, you know, like 91 miles an hour. Have you always had that pitch? No, um, it, it, it's gotten better over the years and whatnot. Uh, I used to, in, in college and then uh, my first couple of years in pro ball, I threw a curveball and a slider. Um, and when I kind of really embraced the, the relieving um, path that I was taking to try to get to the big list, I you know, eliminated one breaking ball thinking that if I just took my best one at the time and made that one as good as I could make it, I wouldn't have to worry about the two blending or whatnot. Um, so I, I kind of blended both my curveball and my slider at the time. Found this slider that really worked for me, um, and it's just continued to evolve. And I've continued to garner control over it and be able to kind of manipulate it, as you've talked about, to be less horizontal at times, more vertical, even kind of back it up to righties some, and you know, some stuff that hitters aren't used to seeing. More with Drew and Rockies pitcher Tyler Kinley right after this. I'm proud to be aligned with Steel Products. That's S-T-I-H-L. been telling you about them, bragging on them for more than four years. They make great, great products worldwide. Uh, a ton of their products are made right here in the United States, number one. They have over 10,000 dealers in our uh great country and that means you can find one around the corner from you they handle the pros they handle the amateurs like us just check this out for a moment if you need a saw for instance they have chainsaws they have hedge trimmers they have pole pruners they have multitask tools gardening tools forestry tools cutoff machines concrete cutters they have all kinds of mowers and planters, sprayers, bed redefiners, augers and drills on the cleanup side, power washers, blowers, wet and dry vacs. It is ridiculous how many products they have. It really is. And they're the best in the business. So you just got to go see them, man. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. And uh, you'll be literally and figuratively blown away by all of the products at your disposal. Boyer's Coffee. Love my Boyer's Coffee. In fact, I told you last week, just got a new shipment in. And I keep ordering more. You know, normally I'd have two or three boxes. Now I find myself at three or four boxes at, at a time. And they have some of the jumbo boxes. So you're not going to run through uh, coffee in a week. They've been brewing outstanding coffee and they've mastered high altitude brewing. Every cup is smooth and smooth, but they've been doing it since 1965. 
in uh, these parts. And I always tell you that they're environmentally conscious and they're a great community member. And that's not just uh, scuttlebutt. Um, That's not just uh, me talking about it. They really are uh, on the ground and involved in, in so many things in the community. And that's why I feel good about supporting them. And I appreciate their support as well over the years. Uh, check it out at the local market or just go online to boyerscoffee.com. That's boyerscoffee.com and order your coffee today. It'll be at the house within 48 hours. Boyer's Coffee. Now back to Drew and Rockies pitcher Tyler Kinley. Yeah, you've always had nasty stuff. One of the things that so many pitchers battle is is consistent command. Last year you had it, and I'm going to throw this out there, you know, in kind of a layman observation. It seemed like you were less violent in your delivery. Does that have anything to do with it, or how would you, you know, answer the question of, of why you had better command, consistent command last year? Absolutely. I think, I think that does. I think, um, you know, being able to harness control of the body of the mechanics, I think that definitely plays into it. Um, you know, I was in a real good spot physically where I felt like I could attack, um, you know, with everything that I had without trying to do too much. Um, I think I've fallen into that trap in the past of trying to make a pitch nastier or throw a pitch faster, you know, trying to do more than I needed to. And, at times it would, you know, put me in a hole, fall behind, put me in a bad count. Whereas, you know, really the end of 21 and, you know, carried into the beginning of 22 last year, I was in a good spot and just trusting myself and trusting my stuff in the zone. And I think that really showed because I was able to not walk guys when they need to. Hey, Tyler, in that, in that pitcher corner of the clubhouse in, in Salt River, how much discussion has taken place about the pitch clock? Uh, we're definitely chatting about it. We are. We're, we're trying to figure out, um, you know, we're competitors, so we're trying to figure out how can we use it to our advantage. You know, it's, it's going to be an adjustment for all of us, whether it's whether guys need to knock off five seconds out of their routine or whether they need to knock off one second or whether guys are going to be completely fine. But we're we're talking with, uh, with and about it daily. Um, we're trying to work it into our bullpens. Guys are working it into their live BPs now. Um, and we're trying to see how we can kind of, you know, take control of the clock and use it to our advantage. Are you excited about it? Um, are you skeptical? Do you think in the larger picture it is good for the game? Or, you know, baseball has always famously been played without any kind of clock, and you're such a purist that you have disdain for it. How, how would you describe it both from, you know, an individual pursuit as a pitcher and also looking at the game from 10,000 feet? Well, I think I'm somewhere in the middle because I completely understand it. I I do think that, you know, some of my colleagues may have been taking too long out there, both pitchers and pitchers, you know, to get into the plate and whatnot. And I get it. That's eating up a lot of downtime. And trust me, if anybody knew games are long, it would be us we're involved in them. We know what time we were getting in and what time we were getting out. Um, so I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out, though, because I know we're such a uh, – Good guys are adjusting to things, so I'm curious on, on how that's going to go. Um, I guess my only – it's still early. We haven't seen it, so it's hard to rush the judgment. But my only concern is, you know, we're going to bust our butts for eight innings to get the lead. The last thing I want is, you know, Daniel Bard to have to come in in the ninth and be rushed to get those final three outs that we worked so hard, you know, to get the lead on. 
So that, that's the only thing I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to work on the back end of the game. Um, but Patel and I have kind of joked within each other because we're not, you know, starting the year right away healthy. We're going to have some time to kind of watch, see how it goes, see what adjustments are needed to be made. So that way when him and I do return, you know, hopefully we'll be able to hit the ground running and not have as many uh, bumps and bruises that there might be in April. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. From, you know, your educated opinion right now, do you think it will affect you guys more literally having to get the ball quickly, less recovery time, less routine time, or when there's a runner on, the two disengagements, and then you either have to pick a guy off or, or go to the plate? Which which will have a greater impact? That's a tough one, especially because with recovery being so limited, you know, in Denver, um, you know, sometimes you go to cover bag, you go to back up third base and a ball hits to the gap. You know, if you get that ball right away and the clock starts, well, it might take you, you know, those 10 to 15 seconds that it might have usually taken you to kind of walk back to the mound, get your breath back, you know, before making that next pitch. Well, now you might need to be uh, set up a little bit. So I could see that affecting. Um, it's kind of a wait and see. I think yeah. we're going to training. We have guys that want to, you know, pick twice immediately and do the rest of the at-bat with no picks and see how that goes, see if they can pick a guy off when they want to. We're going to explore some scenarios and put ourselves, you know, at bay to see what it looks like in, in uh, you know, every scenario possible so that we're ready when the season begins. Yeah, it, it, as I said, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out, how all of you adjust, and, and there's an offensive adjustment also uh, as well. You might have to, um, and, and this will be at the umpire's discretion if it's abused, you may have to you know, tie your spikes um, if you have to cover first on you know, a PFP, right? Yeah, I might, might have to do that, or maybe the, uh, the new audio equipment for calling balls and strikes, maybe that doesn't work a time or two and they have to... <laughs> somebody out there to check it out and find out you know what's wrong with that we'll, we'll figure out some ways to get a breather when we need it absolutely okay going to the pen always a unique um group of individuals you lose uh a guy that w- was such a not only an effective guy but a fun-loving guy and a guy that had been a rocky for a long time and carlos estevez um, I guess you get used to it, TK. You've played for a few different big league teams now where a guy you played with all year for a couple of years is suddenly gone. But, um, you know, at least for me, where I sit in the booth, that's that's going to be a, a guy I miss. Absolutely. And I, I was texting with SC this morning. We're, you know, catching up. It is. There's not many other lines of work where you can be working with someone day in and day out, and then all of a sudden they're gone, you know. Um, but he's certainly going to be missed. He was a huge part of our, um, you know, dynamics in our success and in our just day to day. Um, but fortunately, we've brought in some, some great personalities and some really good talented pitchers as well. And, uh, Pierce Johnson and Brent Spooner that are going to join us out there. And we think they're going to be the additions. Yeah. And well, listen, um, you have a great academic background as you were talking about. Brent Suter kind of raises the GPA in the bullpen a little bit, doesn't he? He does. He brings our, our team GPA up, that's for sure. <laughs> um, is this also a fun time of year, though, for you guys? Not You're getting prepared. Obviously, you're re, uh, I don't want to say you're, you're rehabbing, but you're training now to get back on the mound. But you're also you know, getting involved with new teammates and, and getting to know guys like Pierce Johnson and Brent Suter, right? Yeah, it, it, spring training is such a, a fun time for that because we're able to, you know, bust our butts early in the morning for the first half of the day. and. Um, you 
know, based on when guys' families are around and whatnot, we're able to get together and, you know, get a bite to eat that night or you know, have some of the guys over to, you know, a teammate's house for dinner and just kind of hang out and, you know, get to know each other. And uh, it's definitely a, a fun time. And a lot of guys, too, will, will go hit the golf courses, too. We'll go golf with one another. That's a, another great way to get to know each other. Yeah, pitchers and golf uh, seem to go together very well, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, good deal. Hey, uh, two quick ones. Biggest character now that Esty's, uh, you know, applying his craft on the West Coast, uh, who's character number one in that pen? I don't know if character number one has surfaced yet. Um, let's, go, let's go new guy out of the gates already opening up his personality, Brent Suter. And he's left-handed, so it fits. Par for the course. Yeah, perfect. Okay, it, it, Rockies fans uh, tuning into this, they, you know, it's the it's the time of year of abundance uh, of optimism for every team. Uh, what gives you as you look around at Salt River Fields and get to know your teammates and know what you have coming back, et cetera? What gives you optimism that the Rockies can um, achieve beyond what the quote unquote uh, experts and prognosticators think? I would say two things. I would say both health and growth. Um, I think, you know, obviously tends to tell on myself we're, you know, we're coming back from injury, but we're going to be there and we're going to, you know, hopefully be a part of a strong second half push that we're going to be able to make. But I think we're going to have a lot of healthy guys in our rotation, in our lineup. I think uh, Chris Bryant being healthy this year is going to be a huge part of our lineup. Um, and then I think the second thing is growth. I think this group, core group of guys, we now have another year under our belt know how each other functions we know where we lacked last year because it was a you know a terrible year um so we know the things that we were able to push each other's on uh this off season to get better at and whatnot and so i think the growth um so far that we're seeing early in camp is going to be huge um playing into our season hey tk i appreciate the time greatly look forward to seeing you and, and most importantly uh continued uh, good health on the path back to getting uh, getting back on the big league mound, and and obviously everyone who's uh, listening hopes it's uh, uh, very soon. So uh, appreciate it as always, brother. Thanks, Drew. Great talking to you. Interesting thoughts from uh, Kinley on the pitch clock and how guys are working on it right now, and the gamesmanship has begun. You know, in the in the clubhouse, they're having lots of conversations about how to, you know, slow things down, how to, you know, maybe catch your breath when you have to run to first base. Um, you know, how you're going to handle when there's a guy on first. Do you, you know, as he said, do you disengage twice early, pick twice early? I mean, it is. I, I keep coming back to this. It's going to be fascinating how this thing unfolds the first couple of months because not only are fans at home adjusting to the new rules, most importantly, the players are adjusting to the new rules. And until you do it day after day and different scenarios crop up, you may imagine how it'll go. You may tinker with different things during spring training, which makes this spring training as interesting as, as any in recent memory. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take maybe the better part of the season, certainly the better part of the first half, to see how it affects offensively, defensively, and the guys that throw the baseball for a living. 
I didn't get a chance to mention this last week, and I want to make mention of it right now. It kind of slipped my mind as I was uh, chatting away with you all last week. I'm really excited about a rule that's been in place the last few years that's become permanent, and that is the California tiebreaker or the ghost runner, however you want to describe it, being at second base to begin uh, the 10th inning in a tie game. And I know some baseball purists hate it. I don't hate it. There, there's, it's not necessary when you're already playing 162 games to play the 15, 17 inning, you know, game in May and June and July. It's not necessary. Now, when you get to the postseason, you play it out. There will be no ghost runner at second. But I think that this is a good thing. It's good for the health of pitchers, which affects the days to come. I mean, if you go through your whole bullpen on a Tuesday night in a 16 inning game, Uh, Where does that leave you Wednesday, Thursday, Friday through the rest of the week? I mean, it it compromises you for a week. It really does for a full week. So I'm uh, I'm really happy to see that. Um, And one other note about the pitch clock for those, you know, some people reached out last week via social media and they said, no, you know, uh, this has always been a game without a clock. It's still, folks, a game without a clock. Yes, they're utilizing a clock to speed up play and get the game back to where, at least from a a time management standpoint, it was in the 60s and the 70s. But it's still without a clock because, as Roger Angel wrote, if you keep hitting, if you keep the rally alive, you've defied time. And there is no clock that will stop you and say, hey, the buzzer just went off. Sorry, your rally's going to end up two runs shy in the ninth because the buzzer sounded. Still can't happen. So there still is no clock in baseball from the standpoint of you know, they're going to kill the rally. That's going to do it for this edition of the uh, Drew Goodman Podcast. Thanks for always for uh, joining us. Show number 190. Kale McCarr, get healthy. Big week for the Nuggets. I think they have Memphis a couple of times. Keep that momentum going toward the uh, postseason in the most interesting Western Conference. Talk to you in seven days, everyone. Baseball season is uh, almost fully upon us. Take care. Stay safe. Stay well.